0: Hi, ladies, and welcome to a brand new episode of Health by Heather Hirsch. In today's show, which is extremely special, I interviewed Liz, a student of mine in my master class, because she has such a fascinating story that needs to be told. Liz was diagnosed with a high risk genetic mutation for breast cancer. And in this week's episode, we talk about her story. We talk about the issues that women face who have breast cancer or risks for breast cancer. We talk about surgeries and menopause. You are going to probably want to grab a few tissues for this week's episode. It's extremely sensitive, touching, and emotional. I hope you enjoy this week's episode. See you on the other side. by Heather Hirsch, a podcast dedicated to uncovering many of the women's health issues many of us are wondering about, but few of us are talking about. My mission is to expose the current gaps in knowledge and care on all things women's health. Enjoy. Today's podcast episode is sponsored by Evia. Evia is the first ever app that utilizes the science-backed technique of using hypnotherapy to effectively manage your hot flashes and night sweats naturally. Hypnotherapy is supported by NAMS, the North American Menopause Society, is a proven mechanism to calm the body's stress response to bothersome hot flashes. Now with the EVIA app, that's simply E-V-I-A in the app store, you will learn to soothe both day and night symptoms without the use of medications you'll be able to track and evaluate your symptoms and so much more. They have a core five-week program that is Dr. Hirsch approved for at-home support. Start your seven-day free trial at eviamenopausecom slash Heather, which is eviamenopaus dot slash Heather, or check the link in the description to get started. Today, as mentioned, I have with me my friend, Liz Van Skyke, and we are going to be talking all about essentially what it means to have early surgical menopause. And in Liz's case, uh, she had a high-risk mutation, uh, BRCA1. And so for a lot of you listening, you either maybe have a high-risk genetic mutation or know someone who does. And so I wanted to um, lure Liz in today to really give the perspective of actually somebody going through it. You guys have listened to me enough talking about what the perspective is like as a physician. So hi, Liz. Hi. How are you? I'm super excited to be doing this. Yeah. Well, I'm really excited um, that you're on today. So Liz and I met when she became a student in my class. And um, really, how did you how did you find me? And um, how did you find me? Yeah, that's a
1: great question. Um, so we, we—I say we—I'm talking about my husband and I. Um, bless him. Had actually kind of gotten to a place of uh, honestly, just kind of desperation in my journey to figure out my hormones. And um, he actually, you know, poor thing—he was trying to understand. I was kind of venting. I was kind of at a place where. I had talked to so many doctors on the phone um, who were part of my care team. You know, I had talked to my genetic counselor. I had talked to my OB. I had talked to somebody who wasn't my OB, somebody else who wasn't my OB, somebody mm-hmm. like a nurse practitioner friend of mine. I had talked to um, my breast oncologist. I had talked to so many people who had been part of my medical journey for literally almost decades, and people who were friends, and people who I just met, and people who. You know um i was just trying to get wise counsel anywhere i could and it was like nobody had an answer and i was you know we we're sitting at this table i'm sitting at right now and i was just crying to him like nobody knows what to do with me and i don't i don't know what to do you know um and he started searching on the internet good old google and um he somehow found you i think on instagram and he was like hey you got like check out this doctor and he um sent me your Instagram page and I started kind of rifling through and I was like "Ha, huh. you know like maybe yeah. she knows what she's talking about and so I um you know saw one of the posts about the master class and filled out the little form and we had a conversation like probably literally where I'm sitting right now and yeah. I just thought oh my gosh she actually cares and she sounds like she knows what she's talking about and I you know, sufficiently stalked you on the internet and um, (laughs) (laughs) realized like you had some pretty, you know, substantial credentials, you know, I, I, um, you know, I did my homework and felt like Mm -hmm. you were trustworthy. And so I signed up and here I am.
0: You know, it's so funny when I think about my like my social media journey, like I kind of started, I think in twenty eighteen, and like I've met so many incredible people I never would have thought, and and really been able to help people, um, which has just made it like all the more like just like my daughter calls like warm fuzzies when you feel like good feelings in your body. So let's go way back. How did you find out that you had a BRCA mutation?
1: Yeah, I um yeah, way back is right. So, my mother um died of ovarian cancer when I was super young. She was diagnosed when I was 10 and passed away after a really long battle when I was about 17. So, she was only 47 when she died. And so um I grew up, you know, being very like terrified. I didn't didn't want anything to do with cancer. If I was going to get cancer, I was I didn't want to know. I just wanted to like crawl in a hole and die quietly by myself was kind of what I decided. But, you know, you grow up, you mature, you fall in love and get married. You decide, gosh, life is really worth living. And um, that's kind of what happened. Um, and after, you know, I got married and, um, you know, in my probably late 20s, early 30s, I found a lump in my breast and I freaked out. Um, I
0: Rightfully went to the doctor.
1: So. I got it checked out. I, um, you know, it ended up being benign, but, um, I went and saw a doctor, you know, and they kind of started me on the whole, like regular checkup kind of, kind of thing. But I had this one doctor, she was actually my GP at the time, but she, she said, you know, tell me about your, your family history. And I told her about my mom and she said, well, what do you, you know, what about beyond that? And so I told her about, you know, um, well, my aunt had had breast cancer and survived. My grandmother had some female cancers and kind of told her a little bit more about my history. And I was kind of on the line at the time where they they wouldn't necessarily have they they could have gone either way in terms of genetic testing. But she kind of pushed it through anyway. Um, so that's kind of how I landed with the genetic testing and the, um, the medical kind of organization I was with at the time was just hyper um, diligent. And so I was on a fast track to, you know, I would get um, screenings every six months. I would get um, like really aggressive with like their prophylactic um, treatment. And so that was kind of the journey I started on. So I went to like an all day seminar learning about what does it mean to be BRCA1? What does it mean to, um, you know, what are my options in that journey and support systems and all kinds of things like that.
0: Wow. How old were you at the time? And like, yeah, where, what stage of life were you in, in terms of, you know, partners and kids and like, what did that mean for you and your family when you found out?
1: Yeah. So it was interesting because uh, we found out that um, I was pregnant the same week that I got the BRCA results. Oh um, I I had been married for maybe a year I think a year or two I was about 30 you know 31 somewhere in there so um, it was definitely not the news we were looking for you know um, and definitely changed kind of our trajectory in terms of family planning and things like that so um, and it was also right around the time that Angelina Jolie's story broke in the news yeah. so we were talking like not knowing anything about RACA, like what, like this totally obscure, like genetic testing, okay, you know, we didn't know anything about it for us. It was a context of like babies, you know, you they offer you genetic testing when you're pregnant, especially when right. you're, um, you know, a geriatric pregnancy. Thanks, guys, but um, right here, they, three uh, times, yeah, thanks, that's so sweet. Yeah. Um, but uh so it was all new, but then all of a sudden it was out there in the media and everybody knew what it was. It, it felt like to us and everybody had an opinion, you know, like Melissa Etheridge had her like comeback article about like, you don't need to do all these surgeries. You should just eat right and have a personal chef. And you know, <laughs> of and, course. Like, on the other side, Angelina was like, I did all these surgeries and I did this. And so it was really overwhelming for us because it was like, we had this new information and then everybody has an opinion and yeah, it was just a lot. So yeah,
0: it must feel like early like thirties box just, mm-hmm.
1: yeah, for sure, yeah. for sure.
0: Um, You know, when I see patients with BRCA1 and BRCA2, oftentimes I'll see them, actually, if I'm lucky, I'll get to see them actually before they decide surgeries um, and surgeries, meaning if they want mastectomies, if they're doing, you know, oophorectomies for um, risk reducing for ovarian cancer. Um, And typically with BRCA1, it's earlier. And um, with BRCA2, they sometimes will give patients a little bit more time, can be a little bit patient dependent, but And I just like to give people a moment to like, grieve, like just whatever it is, whether it's some of my patients are like, I don't even want to have kids anymore. I just like, I don't want to my, I don't want to take my organs out. And so what was that like for you? Or like, what do you see a lot of people in the community sort of wish they had space to talk about freely? God, that's a good question.
1: It's, um, it's really heavy. Um, and I remember Vividly, and I think my husband would say the same thing. You know, like I had mentioned, the um, our medical provider had a day long seminar that they offered, where it was literally for BRCA patients that, in it, you know, no matter what stage of their life that they were in or their stage of finding out their status, um, and they had like panel after panel after panel of, you know, um, like for mastectomies for hysterectomies for, you know, if you want to treat with, you know, um, any way that you would want to treat this news, they had like a panel available for talking through that. But it was super sobering because we walked in this room, and I was probably one of the younger people in the room. And there were women there, you know, who had lost their hair because they were in the middle of chemo with headscarves on. And I saw my breast oncologist up on the stage, I thought, you know, it was like, it was just really sobering to think like, okay, there are people in this room actively fighting cancer, and it's not just, hey, you have this gene that's never going to materialize into anything real. You know, it's like I'm sitting next to people two feet away who have this gene, and it has materialized into cancer. And so it was very, very sobering. Um, and then also they they had a clinic where, you know, we went to the offices, and we were in a revolving door. So they had multiple patients and then they had the different doctors, the specialists come into the room. So we sat in the same room, So then the doctors went door to door, you know? So it was like, this doctor is going to talk to you about prophylactic mastectomy and this doctor is going to talk to you about prophylactic ubrectomy and hysterectomy, And this doctor is going to talk to you about if you want to take tamoxifen and this doctor is going to talk to you about this. And so it was so, it was so much. And so um, I think, you know, and I'm in so many different Facebook groups and Instagram pages of women that, you know, are, it's, you know, basically support groups. And it's like, there's, you know, once a week, it seems like there's somebody pops in that's like, I just got this news. I just got this, you know, I don't want to call it a diagnosis, but, you know, I just found out yeah. this status and yeah. um, they're still overwhelmed. And the amount of women that, you know, pop in to say, it's okay take it one day at a time because I think there's this urgency to like, I have to yeah. figure out what I'm going to do, you know, because yeah. in some ways it feels like a death, sentence, yeah. you know, but, um, I I can just say that like the relief I have on the other side of it is so freeing. And I think I, I don't, I didn't have that before, um, before I did all the surgeries that I've done, yeah. um, because it was every six months I was going to get, you know, uh. mammogram or an ultrasound and it was like sitting in that room just waiting for the bad news you know and just the amount of anxiety that I had every single time I was in there because it was like you're just expecting the worst you know and it was it was overwhelming and it is like a
0: full-time
1: job oh I would get a certified letter in the mail if I missed the screening you know,
0: from my provider,
1: like they were that serious, which I appreciate, you know, yeah. but at the same time, it was like, <laughs> probably adds to that layer of
0: uh, the urgency or the, you know, make a decision. Do you want to take your breasts off? Do you want to take tamoxifen? Do you want to be in menopause? You've done it because I can't imagine. I can, I mean, I'm on the provider side. I certainly see it, but that's why I wanted you on because I wanted to. It's, yeah.
1: It's- so overwhelming and even the surgeries themselves are so overwhelming to think about and to be on the other side of it you know I was terrified before having my mastectomy and now on the other side I'm like is it great is it the choice that I would want for myself like no you know it would be great to not had this had to have this had to have to make this choice but like on this side of it like I'm thrilled I'm thrilled that I have had the opportunity you know it's like I should people would tell me all the time, Oh my gosh, you're so brave for doing that. And I'm like, God, I don't feel brave. Like that, that decision was completely made out of fear. You know what I mean? Like I didn't feel like there was any bravery involved, you know what I mean? But it's like, I think back to my mom, like would she have chosen a couple body parts to have potentially more life with us? Absolutely. Like I'll give all the extra body parts I have, you know, like to have more time with my three kids, even if they're going crazy in the other room, you know what I mean? So it's, it's being very it's good. Easy choice, <laughs> for the most part. It, yeah. It's an easy choice, but it's it's terrifying before you're on the other side of it. So now I can look back at my mastectomy and say, "Oh yeah, no big deal. I barely remember that. I barely remember the pain, or I barely remember how scared I was." But in the moment, yeah, it's a lot. You know, yeah. it's a lot. What steps
0: did you do your surgery in?
1: So we had our um, our kids per doctor's recommendation um, as quickly, you know, all the kids we wanted as quickly as we could. So we had three kids, um, each about two years apart and,
0: um, That's a lot, right? Like that is a lot of work right there.
1: Yeah. Especially for geriatric pregnancies. Right. So Uh thanks Uh guys. Um, we, uh, so we did that and my, so kind of what, what, um, kind of pushed me over the edge. I was, I was dragging my feet, you know, I did not want to do any of this stuff, Um, but Mm -hmm. I had already kind of decided to do the hysterectomy first because that was my biggest fear, you know, because Mm -hmm. um, ovarian cancer is the hardest to detect um, because that's what my mom had died of. Um, That was kind of my biggest anxiety. Um, And because I had had breastfed all of my kids, I had, um, you know, just some of the things that they say. You know decreases your risk of risk of breast cancer in in terms of you know taking birth control, breastfeeding, et cetera. I had done some of those things. So ovarian cancer was definitely my my bigger anxiety. so um, but I was dragging my feet. So my little guy um, had just turned a year, my youngest. Wow, and my uh, an extended member of my family, my brother's wife's sister, um, found a lump in her breast, and she also had. A new baby and she it turned out to be triple negative breast cancer and she died within a year. So our kids were about the same age. And I was, you know, had a one-year-old at home, a three-year-old at home, a five-year-old at home. And I'm sitting at the front row of her funeral holding her one year old. And I was like, I can't wait anymore. You know, and so I called my surgeon the next week and I said, Let's do it. And so that
0: summer. And we hear him right.
1: <laughs> that summer, I called. It um, never stops. I called the surgeon, and we we did the hysterectomy. So I had weaned my kid right in time. And three months later, or no, I hadn't weaned him. That was another big question, um, because I was still breastfeeding when I had the hysterectomy. So they weren't sure if I would be able to do that. That was a huge question because the baby was six months old. That's right. I'm forgetting the timing. So my youngest was six months old um, when I had the, um, the hysterectomy, and I really wanted to continue to breastfeed because that was important to me, but um, they weren't sure if I would be able to do it. They weren't sure if the hormone fluctuation would mess with me. They weren't sure if the tra- body trauma would mess with me, but um, I had about 24 hours right after surgery where I wasn't producing any milk, and I think it was just a shock to the body. And then right after that, um, everything was fine. So I was able to nurse him for another six months or so. And then I weaned him right in time. Um, he was like a year and a half and, um, weaned him for three months, had the first part of the mastectomy. Um, I went with expanders, which if you haven't (laughs) gotten into the mastectomy world, then you're like, what is she talking about? But, um, ended up having expanders and then a second surgery in November. Um, So it was all probably within two years, I had all three surgeries and just kind of cranked it out.
0: You are so brave, honestly, out of fear, out of, um, necessity or out of instincts for survival, even if it's for your babies, probably like you are so, so, so brave. Um, and and I don't even have the words. Those this is one of those things where like, I'm sure everyone's like, oh my gosh, I want to say the right thing. But there is, there is no right thing. What um did you feel, which support groups like that you're a part of would you recommend or what did you find that was really comforting? It's it, I know because I know a little bit about your story that you have a really supportive family and a really supportive partner. And I bet that's like a huge part of it. Like he's sitting there finding doctors on Instagram, right? I mean, that's incredible. But yeah, what okay. support groups were really helpful.
1: So um I actually created my uh a private group on Facebook. I kind of created my own support group of like family and friends that I um because it's kind of a personal thing to share about, you know. Not everybody wants to hear about your lady part, you know. So I kind of created. I do. <laughs> you do. Well, um, your your special kind, you know. Oh. Um, so I created like a special group that I would just like post prayer requests or like this is my this is the details. This is my surgery date. This is what's happening. Um, or like a meal train or whatever, you know so people could support or help with the kids or like there are days when, you know, after the mastectomy where I couldn't lift, um, a certain amount of weight. So my husband had to go back at work. So I literally down to having friends, like just show up in the morning to lift the kids into the car and drive them to school with me, you know, like that level of support, um, was great. And we had friends that like flew from out of state to come stay with us for a week to help with the kids. Like we just, we had a great support system, um you know my mother-in-law came and stayed each time for at least a week and um it it was it was a huge blessing so we had that um force is a huge support group um and source of information for people it's called facing our risk um there's um the breasties is a group that i follow that deals mostly with um mostly with braca they haven't really delved into um hormone replacement and things like that yet but then there's also just a bunch of like random groups on Facebook that I follow um and through that I actually found someone who had their prophylactic mastectomy on the exact same day as me and so she and I became
0: um, like at the same hospital or just the same day
1: same day like she lives in a different state in a different time zone Mm -hmm. and so we became buddies and we were messaging each other like How was your follow up appointment? How was this? How was that?
0: How are your films?
1: Praying together, like the whole thing. It was just kind. I mean, just kind of an absolute gift. So um, there's just there's a huge community of women who are out there and willing to give way too much medical history to help each other out. You know, so Yeah. um, yeah. And the same with like hormone stuff too. So I've I've actually been able to share about this class in in some of those groups as well, as women are like, I don't know what to do with my hormones. I feel totally lost. Like um, Women are are here to support each other in that way, in in just a really great way.
0: Yeah, because right then that kind of circles back to what we started with when we when you and I met was just sort of this whole the hormone conundrum because not only have you had so much psychological trauma and then like post operative trauma, then you're you're menopausal and you have three little kids and a husband. And a job, and a body, right? Left, and um, it can be another. I feel. I would imagine just listening to you so far, it would feel like you're like, okay, and then you're like back to square one. Like now, what do I do? Like what What do I do next? And so I'm sure there's just like a lot of different. I I would imagine there's a lot of different voices in that direction too.
1: Well, and I think the hardest thing that I encountered that is kind of what led me to you was that people just didn't know what to do with me you know um the surgeon that actually did my my hysterectomy when I went to him and I was kind of like what do I do now he was like what do you want to do and I'm like that's not the answer I'm looking for you know I was like I felt like I'd had all this great support and guidance about the prophylactic process and then when I got to the other side it was like And now we don't know, you know, like, yeah, I didn't feel like there was a lot of great research on what to do with people in my situation. And my, you know, my OB who had walked through having all the babies and doing all this stuff was like, so terrified to give me hormones because he didn't want to give me breast cancer. And I had, you know, my breast oncologist who was like, yeah, you should totally take hormones, but I don't want to put it in writing because that feels crazy, you know? And so it was like, I was getting different advice. And conflicting advice from everybody and then in the midst of it I just had like personally a really complicated situation where it was like the patches weren't working for me because I have incredibly sensitive skin and like I couldn't take oral estrogen for you know for other medical reasons and I had this other kind of estrogen wasn't working for me for this reason and I wasn't absorbing this kind and it was like holy smokes what do I do you know and nobody knew what to do and it was just really I just felt stuck. And so to have somebody (laughs) to help me was just kind of like, honestly, an answer to prayer in a way that I just never felt like I was going to have hope with this. I felt totally, totally like I'm going to be a crazy person that yells at her kids for the rest of my life. And, um, no, I feel like I have such a clear, like I have a clear plan and I know what I'm doing and I feel confident in it. And yeah that's that is such an incredible gift like what you know Heather when you're like do you want to do a podcast I'm like yes anything else like you, want to, you know like whatever you want I'm in because it's just I'm just so grateful
0: well I always say and I truly mean this whether you're my student you're my patient like you guys do all the hard work I just I'm just here for the journey and everyone's like but you went to med school and all that yes I know but really you guys are doing all the hard work and I think to your point or to the point the greater point of, um, for women who go through what I call sudden menopause, um, because it's sudden, um, and often it's accompanied in this case with like high risk genetic mutations of other surgeries and young families. And then once you get through all the surgeries and then you're like, Oh wait, I am menopausal, right. Then you have these whole other, um, you know, thought process to go through of like hormone therapy. Yes or no. Did you have cancer? Yes or no. You know, did you have mastectomy? Yes. Or, like there's all these decision trees. And I think really that while I don't want to say there's one right or wrong answer, it it is almost like a whole another world. Once you get past your surgeries and just, you know, I, I think that as more research is starting to be done on, on women with high-risk genetic mu- mutations and um, how risks and benefits um, after early sudden menopause comes out, there'll be so much more. But at this point, you know, you're exactly right. We we have limited short-term trials of women, but um, you know, it, it's just, it's so personal and so dependent on surgical and medical history. Some women it's contraindicated, some women it's not. And uh, you know, it's my mission in life to help educate physicians and and help to um, really give physicians like maybe even a protocol or um, a way to talk to patients. And I I I am so lucky I have had the experience of working with you and watching you and and. Um, I just thank you for really jumping on in the midst of your son, having Achilles surgery and telling your story because it's, it's, it's so powerful. I know um, we're both like in tears or like, uh, you know,
1: it's a lot. I'd be unhappy to do it. It's, I feel like, you know, what I've gone through, it's like, it's it's definitely worth it for, for my own life, you know, and my own longevity and my family and stuff like that. But it's like, if, if we don't, if I can't share it and if it doesn't, you know, it's, it's I know that it's more powerful if I'm able to share it and if I'm able to um, share it with other people and help them along in their journey. And, and why wouldn't I want to do that? You know, it's not like, it's not like it, I get a treat for keeping it to myself. You know, it's like, it's, it's a rough battle and it's, it's terrifying. And I think to know that there's, there's other people on the other side that say, like, I made it and I'm okay. And I'm so glad for my decision, you know, then it's all all the better. So,
0: yeah. Before I let you go, what piece of advice would you give for someone who is newly diagnosed? And I know you had already kind of said, take it one day at a time, but after they take it one day at a time, like, you know, what's your next piece of advice?
1: Um. I would say just being willing to advocate for yourself, you know, it's, um, it's, it's so overwhelming. And, um, you know, I think back to us sitting in those, those seminars and just, wow. you know, looking around the room and just being so overwhelmed and it's, you know, like, yes, absolutely take one day at a time, but like, you know, not being, not being afraid to ask all the questions and not being able, not being afraid to, get all the information that you want and, yep. and, um, and find it, you know, because if, had I not done that, had I just said, Oh, I guess this is my only option for estrogen. And I'm going to be a crazy person with patches that blister your skin for the rest of your life. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, I just, I just feel like there's more out there and I think you, you can have, I, I was not happy to settle with a life, it wasn't as close to normal Normal. as possible and I feel like you can you can do a lot better than you think you can you know is it perfect no you know like my hair's thin I've gained weight like you know there's still stuff that I'm working out but man do I feel so much better than I did a year ago absolutely six months ago absolutely you know like there's um there's more to life and you can you can have it you just you know don't be afraid to fight for it and yeah so you I feel like you've done so much after the surgeries and all of that stuff. It's like you do so much to fight for life, like don't be afraid to fight for that quality of life too. you know that's way more articulate than all the jumbling <laughs> I said right before that. so
0: I think that's so beautiful. I do think that um especially even amongst the most brilliant doctors, sometimes we get wrong quality of life and only each person, only each woman can decide quality of life. Um, But I think you're totally right. You know, after you go through all that stuff, don't settle just for, you know, feeling, just not feeling like yourself. And I think that as we create this army of women, whether it's, you know, women going through natural menopause and wanting hormone therapy or the high risk, you know, breast cancer patients or breast cancer survivors, sorry, or high risk uh, mutations without cancer. I think like as the, as women in society are starting to demand more of this information, um, it's going to reflect in the medical community that quality of life and decision-making trees and just kind of taking a deep breath and letting our patients decide, you know, without a, a sense of urgency. I know it's hard because right. You you had your moment where you're like, now is the time. But I think that that life does give us this moment where we can have a sense of clarity when it's under so much pressure. I can imagine it's that much harder.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's a ton. And I'm just grateful for people like you that are willing to invest and share their knowledge and um, make a difference. So Mm -hmm.
0: Well, thank you so much for coming on and really, really sharing your story and giving other women hope and um, bringing this topic out more. So thank you guys so much. And thank you, Liz. Thank you. Happy to do it. Happy to be here. All right, guys, I will see you guys next week for a brand new video. If you like this episode, please give it a few stars or a review or share it with your friends or share it to social media and say a quick, quick, and let's say a collective quick, thank you to Liz. And I'll see you next week for a brand new episode. Bye everyone. you